Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Adapters, welcome back to another episode of America Adapts. This is a very exciting episode, and yes, I know I always say that, but this really is. So I'm starting a new segment for the show. It's called Australia Adapts. So every few weeks, I will have this recurring segment, and this segment will generally be about 20 to 30 minutes. And so I'm going to have Dr. Johanna Nalau, who is an adaptation researcher at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia, who will come on and actually host the interview. Johanna is plugged into the ad- adaptation universe down under, and she will bring those stories and experiences to America Daps. We have gone global. So... In the first part of this conversation, I'm going to be talking to Johanna. I interview her and we have a short conversation about who she is, what are some of the adaptation and climate change issues in Australia, and how she learned about America Adapts and her own journey into adaptation. Then Johanna takes over. She'll host a conversation with Donovan Burden, who is an internationally renowned adaptation expert based out of Australia, and he runs an adaptation consultancy called Climate Planning. So he's done this work all over the world, and he's going to talk a lot about local government planning in this episode. So he's been doing this for a while. Donovan's been doing adaptation for a while. I I've, you know people in the U.S. who know about Donovan. He's really a leader in, in adaptation. So when I listened to the episode when it was done, it was really interesting. I learned quite a few things. They obviously are doing different things over there. And I think we have a lot to learn over here in the US market for adaptation. So I, I hope adaptation practitioners listening to this will also learn a lot from, from Donovan. Okay. So next week I have on Andrew Lewin, who runs another podcast called Speak Up for Blue, which is all about ocean conservation. Andrew brings on these ocean experts and ocean activists, and he talks about ocean. He loves the oceans and he's doing all he can to help bring awareness and conservation to the ocean. And so what is really interesting too is Andrew hosted me on his podcast uh, last week and I came on and I talked about America Dabs and it was really cool. I'd never been a guest before and so I got to do most of the talking, whereas on my podcast, I do less of the talking and more of the question asking. And so the roles were reversed and Andrew was really good. And you know, I encourage you to go over there and listen to his podcast, not just the one that I'm on, but all the other podcasts. But it was actually a chance to talk about how I kind of got in the field, how I got into adaptation and climate change. And so if you are curious, because I haven't really dug into that in my own episode, go check out his podcast, Speak Up for Blue. And so after that, I've got someone coming on and going to talk about tribal issues and then tribal adaptation in Alaska and the, sort of the legal issues associated with adaptation. It was a really cool conversation that I recently had. And then I'm going to have someone on from the RAND Corporation to talk about how they do resilience and adaptation planning. And then late April, early May, it's busy time. The Science March is coming to D.C., and I'll be covering that, and the Climate March. And I'll go down to the D.C. and the mall, and I'll be talking to people and getting some micro-podcasts. And then there's some conferences. I'm going to go to the National Adaptation Forum in St. Paul, Minnesota in early May. And I'm hoping that some of those you guys out there who listen to this podcast will actually be at that forum 
I'll get a chance to meet you. And please, if you do listen to the podcast, um, come up, introduce yourself. I would love to just meet all the folks that occasionally I hear via email. Okay, I'll do most of the housekeeping at the end of the episode. I don't want to wait any longer for Donovan and Johanna to come talk about Adaptation Down Under. So without any further delay, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to America Daps. I have a special announcement here. I'm so excited about this. America Daps has gone global. And what I mean by that is that we are introducing a new segment to America Daps. And drumroll, please. We're calling it Australia Daps. And I want to introduce who the person who will actually be the host of Australia Daps. And that is Dr. Johanna Nalau. Hey, Johanna, how are you? Good, Doc. How are you? Good. So you are going to host Australia Daps. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So you are at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia, right? Yes. Yeah, correct. So, um, so I'm a research fellow and my research mostly looks at climate change adaptation. And uh, yeah, so I got my PhD from Griffith University and I've stayed here to pursue some research and adaptation after that. Okay, so here we have you on the America Daps show. Why, why are you even on this America Daps podcast? Uh, tell me a little bit. Like, did you found the podcast. How how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I was a few months ago. I was actually just looking for. I thought there must be something on climate change adaptation that I could listen to while I'm driving or you know going for walk. And um, yeah, I found America. That's not. I was very inspired, especially because you have such great guests and yeah, such great insights into what's actually happening in adaptation in in different sectors and how people think about it and, and some of the concepts that they use as well. So yeah, so I was super inspired and I thought, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, we so should have Australia adapts and kind of showcase some of the really innovative work that people are doing in Australia. Yeah. So then I thought, well, why not do it? Okay. And so you contacted me and I love the idea that, so just for listeners, so you know, what, what we're planning to do is that it's not going to be because you know this is a weekly podcast, and so that that's just going to be too much for Joanna. We're not going to do that to her, but probably every two or three weeks, she's going to record a segment. It's probably going to be twenty to thirty minutes, and she's going to talk to an expert in Australia. So she's going to be having those conversations over there, and we're just going to attach it to a typical episode of American Apps. So that that's our plan, right? Yes, correct. Yes. <laughs> That's all right. She's she's learning the ropes of being a host, and so it's going to be all on her once you know when I'm not part of it. So it's going to be all on her. She's going to be the host of a. And I I just want to you know a little bit more background on you, and I think this is kind of interesting. Is that we have a Finnish host of Australia Daps on America Daps. Is that accurate? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That so what do, I, what do I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, yeah. So I'm obviously I have an accent, and it's um, a very mixed accent. But um, so I came to Australia, uh, 2009 actually to do my PhD because um, at the time there in Europe there were not many institutions looking at adaptation. So I came to Australia because they just had started uh, at actually Griffith University on uh, climate change adaptation research program. So I came here to do my PhD. So once I finished that, uh, I've just stayed on and there's so many challenges in Australia and also in the Pacific Islands. So that's where some of our projects are based as well. 
Well, you had me fooled at first because I think you could have so many different Aussie accents that I, I thought you had an Aussie accent. It was just a little <laughs> unusual. So I think your average listener might be like, okay, she's Australian. But from Finland, living in Australia. Well, uh, I think we're going to hear more about this when you actually have guests on. But can you just maybe talk a little bit about Australia? And I actually lived in Australia, so I can use I can reference it pretty easily. But I just... As someone's listening to this, uh, I think they probably have a romantic version of what Australia really is. But, you know, what's the country like? What are some of the big climate change issues? Yeah, so I think most of the time uh, that Australia would appear on on the U.S. news, it would be probably natural disasters. Right. And so, yeah, so I'm always trying to explain to my family back in Finland. So they natural disasters are often in the news and they, you know, when Australia, when they talk about Australia in Finland, in the Finnish news even. And so we might have, you know, in one state, we might have floods. Another state at the same time, we have, might have massive wildfires. So, and obviously, these are some of the instances that are projected by, for instance, IPCC to increase in the future. So a lot of the adaptation kind of planning landscape is, is looking at these risks and thinking about how to actually start preparing and so I'll be talking with some of the people who are actually very involved with this. So my first guest is going to be Donovan Burton from Climate Planning, and he's working all across the state and local governments in, in Australia looking at these, these issues and helping governments kind of start, start to think these anticipatory um, adaptation actions. And I've also, the second guest that I'll be having on the show is a professor from RMIT University down in Melbourne, uh, Professor John Handmer, and he's the kind of go-to guy in uh, bushfires and, and other kind of disaster management issues in Australia. So very excited. Well, I don't think you're going to be lacking in finding potential guests, and I'm going to encourage you to you know think outside the box too. After you get a few under your belt, and you're going to get just get comfortable, and you're just going to enjoy doing this. And so, I think, especially, can we expect Australian listeners to the podcast, especially when we get your segments up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I think what I'll also be doing, like what you do in in America, Dabs is to also ask further recommendations, not, not just from the guests uh, who come on the show, but also the people who might be might listening to Australia Adapt. So kind of, because there's, there's so many different sectors and different kinds of people ranging, you know, from academics and government people, NGOs and even community groups. And we have associations for farmers who are really, really, you know, taking adaptation seriously. And so... I'm hoping that the, you know, once we get this thing going, that there will be more people recommended from, you know, people that I have, I haven't even heard about. Well, I have said to you, if you really enjoy this, you're going to find that you want to just spin it off and you're going to just have your own podcast and uh, we'll, we'll see if you head there. I would encourage that completely. But I, I love the fact that I can host it. I, As I said, I had lived in Australia. I have a soft spot in my heart for Australia. I love the place. I actually got my grounding in climate change in Queensland. And so I, it, it's some exciting things. And that was 10, 12 years ago. And so I can just imagine that the work that you're doing there, there's just some really cool things happening. Yeah, no, and it's, uh, we also have the Australian, um, National Adapt Climate Change Adaptation Research Institute that we host at Griffith. And they, they are also doing a lot of the national, um, adaptation research and work and trying to link governments and, um, and kind of science and policy. So I'm hoping to talk to a few of those people involved there as well. 
Now, so you work at a university, but how comfortable do you feel talking about the politics of climate change? Is this something you can do? Because in our universities, I think our, our professors can do it. But if you were working at like a federal or state agency, people might be a bit more hesitant. How is it, how is it like that over in Australia? Um, I'm not sure. I think it depends. Again, I think it depends who you talk to. But I wouldn't like we don't have the same kind of string out regulations around that 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 we're put in place in the US. So I think people are probably more comfortable in in talking. It depends, like if because I have a few people lined up who might be talking about how what they're doing, what the state governments are doing, and I think that's a wonderful opportunity, really, for them to showcase some of the innovative thinking that um, and planning that they are doing around adaptation. So I don't think that's gonna that's going to be a, um, a problem as such. I think if I ask them specifically comment on the. <laughs> current political leaders i think then that's something that might be a bit difficult for them to talk in 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 you know publicly in that role but i mean we'll we'll see how we go Right, right. Well, I guess what I'm getting at, I don't want you to turn into some political podcast, but you know, I had heard that some of the science funding was cut over there on climate change, and of course, you know that that that's a driver of what's happening with with you know the academics. So, uh, um, if those issues come up, it'd be interesting to hear about if you can do it. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to discuss politics. It's just, yeah, I think uh, what I find often is that, um, especially people who work in the government are not necessarily happy to kind of make public statements on that, but I'm sure I can get some. <laughs> well, and I also encourage any chance you can talk about, even if it's small snippets with your guest about Australian wildlife, because we in the United States just are absolutely fascinated with what you have over there. And it's all deadly or there's silly things like that. So yes, I, I highly recommend that too. You have unique fauna. So um, <laughs> but talk about how climate change is going to impact them. Mm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I'm definitely looking looking to speak with, with people who do conservation and natural resource management as well. And to kind of look at those specific issues, because there has been quite a lot of research, actually, in, in looking how the species and how the landscapes and ecosystems might change in Australia. Um, and I'm definitely looking for people who are working on the Great Barrier Reef as well, because that's probably one of the most known places in Australia for that might be of interest for the U.S. as well. Excellent. Yeah, I think we, we all think everything is deadly over there. You step off the plane and you're going to be... <laughs> Act. And I actually got bit by a carpet python when I was in Australia. So, you know, there is some truth to it. But uh, any any of those kind of stories, we just, we'll just love that stuff. So just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just our daily life. You can't walk into the yeah. street. Yeah, that's well, you know, the adaptation. The last bit of news I heard like on Facebook, on my Facebook feed out of Australia was some drunk guy who was getting in a boxing match with a kangaroo. And you're just like, oh, brother, Australia, you know, so <laughs> yeah, crazy I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised. But I have to say that a few weeks ago, um, I was actually walking on, on campus and I was actually listening to a podcast. So I wasn't looking where I was walking because I was just, you know, walking, walking on campus on the road. And um, just I saw something and it was actually a snake like crossing that road and I was like a meter from it. So it is a bit different here. <laughs> oh, well, so I get bit by a snake, but I was on a magnetic island up north and I came within like two or three inches of stepping directly on a death adder. And as you know, my listeners can appreciate that's a poisonous snake, a venomous snake. So yeah, it, it's out there. Australia <laughs> could be, <laughs> it it could be it deadly. 
Well, on that, I don't want to leave it on that note. So, okay. So we, we have a sense. We have a taste of some of these guests that are coming up. And this is going to be a recurring thing unless you decide after two or three, you're like, you know what? I hate this. And I, I'm hoping that's not the case. I think uh, you... Now that you're a listener of America Apps, can appreciate that you know you're doing this. It's it's a resource. It's interesting to people, and it's a different way to kind of learn this emerging issue of adaptation. So I, I I'm so excited that you're coming on. You're part of America Apps, and um, I'm looking forward to kind of proponing what you're doing. So thanks again for just reaching out. No worries. I mean, I find your podcast really inspirational. I've actually started sharing. Pretty much with <laughs> this gonna sound super nerdy, but well, <laughs> most of my no colleagues problem. and friends um, that I know that love podcasts, so I've actually been telling them about America Adapt. So I'm hoping that you know they, they'll and most of them are really excited. There was one guy who just said oh, like he had not heard about America Adapt. He went to your side while we were talking, saw all the episodes, and just went ballistic. Because he oh, was so nice. happy that there, <laughs> there is, um, you know, a podcast that that's actually focused on adaptation. And a lot of people that I've shared your podcast with, they've been really impressed by the, you know, the quality of the show and the diversity in guests. So I have high hopes that I, <laughs> I can model, I get more inspiration uh, from from your show and the way that you've been doing it. Well, I, I, I will thank you for those words, but I, I'm, I think you're going to do well. And I just encourage you to kind of bring out the uniqueness of your, your guest in the topic of Australia, because it might seem normal to you, but just hearing anything about what's going on the ground and the landscapes and the wildlife for your, your average American listener, it's just, gonna, I think, really going to be fascinating. So yeah, just uh, bring those stories out. It's going to be great. Yeah. And thanks for giving me the opportunity. I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm very excited. We're franchising America Daps. Who's next? Scotland or something? <laughs> any Scottish listeners or any British listeners? Let's. See. I'm going to probably English speaking just for the time being. My Spanish is pretty weak, so. But we'll, we'll start with Australia, but we'll, we'll go from there. So, um, on that note, any final thoughts before we check out? Um, not really. I'm just yeah, just gearing up to do some episodes, and I once we get those um, online, I'd really love to hear from people what they thought and. You know, also, yeah, get some feedback also and potential guests or who they know or would like to hear from. So, yeah, excited. All right. So when those are out and you people out there, if you have any negative feedback, you share it with me. You're not going to say it to her. OK, you just positive <laughs> feedback. You, you you share it with me. I'm not going to let you insult my new host. So, all right. Not, I'm kidding. But um, OK, on that note, thanks again. And I look forward. And when the, this podcast comes out, we'll probably have within a week or two of this introductory podcast with the actual guests that you're dealing with. So that the timing is, you know, with podcasts is a lot, but uh, it'll be relatively soon so uh thanks again and good luck oh, thanks so much and yeah stay tuned all right all right everybody bye so hi there this is dr johanna nalau so this is the first very first episode of australia dads and in this episode i will be talking with gentleman burton from climate planning who has been actually doing adaptation for 14 years which is probably the longest I know of a person in, in Australia working in this field. And so in this first episode, we have a chat about his, his work and he especially works with adaptation governance indicators, which is really something exciting. I'm helping organizations to kind of realize 
how they are progressing on adaptation. And since this is the first episode, I'd love to hear some feedback from all the listeners and what kind of people you'd like to hear from Australia and what issues. Anyway, here we go. Hello, this is Australia Adapts and I am Johanna Nalau from Griffith University and I will be talking with Donovan Burton from Climate Planning. So Donovan, if you want to introduce yourself and I'm sure the listeners would like to know why you actually got interested in adaptation and what you actually do. Thanks, Johanna, and uh, thanks for inviting me to be part of your first podcast. Um Yes, yeah, so climate change, uh, climate planning is a, I suppose, a boutique adaptation consultancy where I help government and non-government organisations and private sector clients look at the direct and indirect uh, effects of climate change and help them adapt. I came into climate change adaptation, I suppose, in a strange way. You know, I had a um, a previous life as uh, working in publishing. Um, and when I came to Australia in 2000, um, not long after I started university at Griffith University and, um, I did an environmental planning degree. I, I knew nothing about what environmental planning was and, but I was an adult student, you know, so I'd had a, a sort of a pretty diverse sort of, um, career before that. And so I went up to one of my professors and I, I asked him, I said, look, you know, I'm going to graduate as a, in my thirties, what sort of field do you think I should practice in that mm. nobody else is doing? And, and he said to me that I, I had two options. One was looking at the impacts of climate change. So climate change adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. He said nobody was really doing that in terms of, you know, town planning and environmental mm. planning. And the other option he said was peak oil. So I, I went away and had a, had a bit of a think about it and, you know, I was still a first year student and I decided that climate change sounded pretty interesting and I asked him for advice because nobody was teaching uh, climate change yeah. ad- adaptation at, even at the university level and he suggested that I just put a lens over any assignment that I do. So when I looked at biology or when I looked at human settlement planning or when I looked at economics, for every assignment that I did, I looked at climate change and so I did a lot of research. So I spent a lot of time in the university and online looking around and fell in love with climate change adaptation, became very passionate about it. And you know when you're when you're passionate about something it's very easy to spend a lot of time reading and studying and talking to people. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, and so, so when was this? So this was uh, in 2002 um, when I started my environmental planning okay. degree. And before I graduated, I actually um, had a job working for – there was a one of Australia's first climate change consultancies called Climate Risk, and I – that as they were setting up, they approached me and I, I started working with them. And one of our first projects, you know, was a project working with Telstra and it got well recognized. You know, we got that presented at the World Economic Forum in Davos and I think we got a bit of a reputation for being pathfinders and I suppose. Yeah, cool. yeah just, I don't know. Yeah, we weren't, I think the important thing is, is that we weren't, we weren't uh, scared of trying, you know, and so, um. Yeah. It, it was really difficult with adaptation, though, because no one – it was hard to define it. I think a lot of people didn't even know what it was back then. 
And do you think we have a better grasp on on that now? Yeah, I think that's uh, oh, that, I think so overall on a whole, but only just. And you know, I've been doing so. I've been doing climate change adaptation for almost fifteen years, or researching it and and being a part of it and doing applied adaptation. In Australia, local governments probably started to you know lead the field when there was a uh, a policy gap at the federal level, but still, you know, it's. You know, only a handful of, I think, local governments are doing any detailed consideration of climate change adaptation, but more aware of it, there are a lot, a lot more drivers. You know, the World Economic Forum came out and said, you know, the failure, you know, they ranked failure to consider climate change adaptation, you know, as a, one of the top risks. I think that's made a big impact. In Australia, I've never been so busy probably in the last six to eight months. So I think the Paris Agreement has played a pretty considerable uh, or strong role in, in influencing that, especially with the private sector. Yeah. So I think there's, there's definitely, a you know, an increased awareness of climate change adaptation, but it's still not that sophisticated in the application of mm. climate change adaptation. So I know that you work a lot with with the private sector, with local and state governments. So yeah. what would you say in Australia as, as like overall with the governments that you work with, what would be the main kind of challenges that you're seeing that the um, governments are grappling with at the moment in, in regards to adaptation? They, I think it's probably three things. You know, one is that people are confused about roles and responsibilities so that's between, you know, different levels of governance, you know, so the federal government, in Australia we have a federal government, we have a state government and we have local government. And the, even though, you know, they've had some initial conversations around who does what, I think everyone tends to look at each other and hopes that somebody else is going to make some decisions in that space. So roles and responsibilities is, is a barrier and it has been one of the issues. Unfortunately, in Australia, you know, we're a very carbon-intensive economy yeah. and the issue around climate change mitigation has then led to, you know, an impact on the adaptation sector. And so for a long time, climate change has been a taboo subject. You know, Australia's have, you know, uh, prime ministers have 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 won and lost elections on climate change mm-hmm. and we keep on going back to this conversation around the fossil fuel industry it's so so influential in australian politics and so i think you know that's a phenomenal barrier and then the other one is is resourcing so local government you know i I work a lot with local governments Mm, and local government is you know where the rubber hits the road in terms of climate change adaptation but they don't you know it's not like the us you know the local governments can't generate taxes they make all their money predominantly from property you know rates which is pegged to the property values so there's been a shift in australia of a devolution of responsibility from the state to the local government but not so much in terms of ability to uh, resource and exploration Mm -hmm. of climate change yeah yeah i was just going to ask about the resources that seems to be the big thing that in many countries they have said that adaptation is a local issue, it's a local responsibility, and so they gladly give the responsibility from the federal, from the state level, but then you don't really have the funding or the sourcing uh, to go with it to actually start implementing some of those actions. Yeah, and it's pretty sad really because when you think about it, 
I actually think the resourcing is there, but it's just the allocation of the resources, you know. So local governments have money. You know, some of my clients say that they struggle trying to find, you know, $50,000 to roll out an adaptation implementation strategy, but they have no problems finding $17 million to build a highway, you know. And it so the money is available, but it just depends on the prioritization of expenditure. And people in traditionally, you know, uh, in the sort of finance sector, I've done a lot of surveys with local governments in Australia and it seems like those like chief financial officers don't understand that adapting to climate change is actually a, a really important thing to do for economic sustainability. Um, it's sort of short term decision making. You know what? You know, sorry. Yeah, and no, I was just going to ask though, I think we know a lot. I mean, we had the whole AR5, you know, talking about some of the constraints, the adaptation and how hard it is and, you know, where the potential limits are. But so in, you know, with local governments or at or with state, have you seen something really innovative that has kind of had, you've had this kind of wow moment, like, you know, even if there are all these kind of barriers and constraints, the adaptation, but are there examples that um, where you think local governments have been really innovative in, you know, how they do the resources or for adaptation or implements or... Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's a, a council down in um, southern Tasmania. So this is the state of Tasmania. It's at the bottom of Australia, temperate climate. And there is a, a very small uh, local government and it's called Kingborough Council. Population approximately 35,000 people. And they've really been quite innovative because what they've actually set up is a climate change innovation lab where they can be a an organization which has been established by the municipality, but the remit of the of the organization and of the lab is to undertake applied research, do collaboration with a broad range of stakeholders specifically for their municipality but you know to also then share that with other municipalities around Australia and recently they signed a a memorandum of understanding with what with Sunday Regional Council up in Queensland to you know swap notes and I suppose create some sort of economy of scale in their research but I think before that traditionally climate change adaptation in Australia consisted of that command and control, you know, undertake a risk assessment, likelihood times consequences, depending on, you know, and the results of that would be depending on who was in the room at the time, and then create an adaptation plan. But unfortunately, they tended to be quite static, you know, and they would just be a a document that would sit on the shelf, you know, gather dust sometimes. Yeah, no, that's actually, that sounds really, really innovative because I think there is, there is a lot of talk about information sharing and, you know, communication and how do we learn from case studies. For instance, there's lots of case study research, research and reports on, on around how to do adaptation. But I think the kind of direct lessons learned from one municipality or one council to another, that's, that's really, really sounds innovative. Yeah. And, you know, I think the exciting thing about that sort of uh, collaboration is that that wasn't led by the federal government. It wasn't led by any of the state government. It was a sort of a initiative between these two councils. You know, with Sunday Regional Council realized that they weren't doing much at all in terms of climate change adaptation, mm. but they wanted to learn off somebody. And so they reached out to 
Kingborough and um, signed that MOU. You know, I th- the important thing with adaptation is that it's an ongoing process. And the only way to, well, they felt that the only way to ensure that it stays alive is to have this sort of, these innovation hubs or research centres within their municipalities. No, it is. And I think, you know, often often we see, you know, an organisation, whether it's government or private sector, they have the adaptation plan. And then they kind of go, okay, we have the plan, so we're we're good. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know, there's a couple of things that that, that do, there are a couple of things that you know I am concerned about is is um, so one of them is if you're an organisation and you need to do an adaptation plan, you know, then there's more and more sort of pressure on you, whether it be from shareholders or whether it's from your you know elect your community, you know, to do an adaptation plan. There. There's no uh, peak body that says you know, this is what an adaptation professional looks like. And so, you know, I think we are starting to see the emergence of sort of some gunslingers out there who, you know, can give a nice pretty sort of, you know, flyer to say, here, look, I, I do climate change adaptation and the client doesn't actually know what it is. And so they say, okay, yeah, great, I'll hire you and not much gets done. And so it's that implementation, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge mm. and vetting implementation. You know, mm. the, as you know, with the Paris Agreement, they talked more and more about transparency. And we've seen it in the mitigation space. You know, there's been this big push on disclosure. And that is also coming through uh, in the adaptation space, you know, with the Financial Stability Board, for example, really highlighting the need for disclosing risks. But the method to do that and vetting that is, is another thing. I think you're right. And I think we, I mean, we have this still, I mean, that's one of the big kind of themes at the moment, research, right? So it has been for the last two, three years is like, how do we monitor and evaluate and measure, you know, what we are actually doing? Are, you know, are the adaptation actions actually, you know, helping or are we putting in, kind of in place those kind of pathways that we need and that's yeah yeah like I've I've noticed that as well there are lots of people who say they do adaptation they've taken one week course or <laughs> an online certificate and then yeah. they say oh yeah but um I'm an adaptation specialist but the, yeah you're right like the problem is we don't have the kind of we don't have a school for adaptation it's um we don't, the certification and all, all that is, is still to come to kind of, you know, benchmark what robust adaptation professional would, uh, would look like. And, the, the, and I think the thing is because climate change adaptation weaves its way through every element, every sector of our economy, you know, and every element of our, uh, it affects the, every element of the environment and society. And so, you know, I think there's a need for also a, a drilling down of, you know, of adaptation specialists. And, you know, I've been doing climate change adaptation for 15 years or so, and I feel like the more I know, the harder it is, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a systems issue, especially when you start yeah. looking at the cascading risks, and I think that they're the ones that are going to catch people unaware. Yeah, do, do you want to say something more about that, about kind of the cascading risks? Yeah, so, you know, I'll give you an example, you know. So imagine if you're a local municipality, and we've had examples of this in, in Australia. So some municipalities have been nervous about uh, releasing climate change or flood mapping that has climate change perturbation, whether it's from rainfall or, or sea level rise, 
Because what they worry about is that, you know, when you have a map that shows you've got an extra 60,000 homes inundated, you know, in a 1% flood risk, the there's a potential that the one of the cascading risks, but whether it's from the flood mapping or whether it's from the risk itself, because they're, they're both very real, is that it can affect insurance availability and affordability, but it also can affect mortgage availability and affordability. Now, they're linked then to property values. And as I mentioned beforehand, you know, local governments get their income from property values. So if they do any action that uh, they think will impact the property values, then they get nervous because that's where they get their money from. So I think in terms of, you know, the economic risks is going to be pegged to the financial industry, whether it's, you know, mortgages and insurance. The other cascading risks, though, and I think these are the sleepers, you know, as food security, water security. I think they're much bigger issues. Provision of ecosystem services. You know, in mm. Australia, we've just had back-to-back bleaching of the coral reef, you know, the Great Barrier Reef. Now, we know some of the basic ecosystem services that that provides us. Yeah. But if, you know, if, if the Great Barrier Reef bleached again next year, then that could almost overnight shut down the tourism industry, mm. which is billions of dollars. And then, you know, the cascading you know impacts through any economy will be quite phenomenal. Yeah, and I know that you also work with the private sector, and uh, especially with the with the insurance industry. So, how do you see the role of the um, insurance industry in Australia in in enabling or or constraining uh, adaptation? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So, you know, originally when I first did some work for the insurance industry, I, I was quite surprised. I thought, well, you know, the insurance industry should know everything about climate change risks and adaptation but but they didn't and you know uh even recently some surveys in the u.s showed that probably you know only 13 or so percent of insurers have been considering climate change it's especially being considered more so at that reinsurance level they're the insurer's insurer but how do how does that manifest in terms of insurance premiums is, is quite complex. So how I see it manifesting, and, I, and and we have seen it manifest in Australia, is some insurers have actually pulled out of specific locations. In Emerald and Roma, Suncorp Insurance, three or four years ago, said that they were no longer going to insure that those towns because, you know, the flood risk was just too serious. Um, so mm. they started pulling out and putting up the insurance prices. And so what that did is that really influenced state and local government planning policy. So what the state and local government did was to build levies, you know, around the town. And so that threat of removing insurance has actually been a lever for change. Is that the best way forward? I'm not sure because it, it in any given year, you know, an insurer can decide to leave a location. Yeah. Could you just say say a bit about the because I, I mean with private with the private sector and with the some of the organisations and you know with the governance I know that you've been your current work is really focused kind of on helping them to measure and track where where they are at with adaptation. So could you just talk about the I think the concept is that adaptation governance indicators that you use at the moment. Yeah. So. Um 
you know, I'd, I'd been working in the climate change space for a while, you know, and I was involved in doing risk assessments and adaptation planning, and I, and I felt like it wasn't actually influencing any change. And so I started having a bit of a think about, you know, what is it that we can measure? You know, because measuring adaptation, of course, as, as you well know, you know, that monitoring and evaluation space is very complex and sometimes, you know, spans vast sort of temporal scopes. And so one thing we can measure is the extent of, of con- how climate change is considered within an organization. So I created a sort of a, a framework that looked at, I suppose, a consistent way to, to measure climate change adaptation governance, you know, the, looking within the DNA of an organization. So if it was a local government, you know, you might look at the extent that climate change was in its strategic plan, its financial management plan, its asset management plan, and uh, where did they get their information from. And so I had a range of indicators, and that was just to help, I suppose, when you do it the first time around, you know, you create a baseline of awareness of how climate change is being considered within that organisation. It then allowed local governments or state government agencies to try some policy and other interventions for each of those governance attributes. And then, you know, a year later they can test it to see if those policy interventions have been effective or not. But the other main driver behind this, so I'm really into big data analytics, and I wanted to find a way to create a community of practice. And so, because I think, you know, there's a lot that can be learned with a community of practice approach, but sometimes we just don't have the right mechanism in place that allows that. Yeah. And so with my climate change adaptation governance, imagine if you're one local government in Tasmania and, and, and you scored quite poorly on, let's say, asset management, you could look and see who's scoring very well in asset management and you could either approach them directly or the state agencies could facilitate a sort of engagement process and collaboration um, around learning off each other. Now, some people say that for an adaptation consultant, you know, I'm kind of doing myself out of a job, but um, <laughs> but I think that that is actually what needed, you know, because local governments mm. don't have enough money to hire consultants all the time, and they need to mainstream adaptation. And one of the biggest influences for change for the local governments that I've worked with. So I've, I've reviewed the climate change adaptation governance for maybe 150 local governments in Australia now. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think has been most effective is the strongest lever is to see if there's a climate change adaptation policy. Because a climate change adaptation policy can really help ensure that there's a consistent and robust framework, you know, in place. So what a policy would do, it would set the rules for the game. It would be like a corporate standard. And so Kingborough Council was who I first trialed my climate change adaptation governance system on uh, in 2013, so about four years ago. You know, and, and, and they didn't score so well. They, they on the face value, you know, looked like they were doing a lot of activity. You know, they were doing lots, generating lots of reports. But then when you looked inside when we looked inside the council there wasn't actually much being done and um i just finished reviewing them for the third time a couple of weeks ago and you know they have their their scores just you know increased astronomically because now they've got this concerted approach they know mm-hmm. where they're where there are i suppose gaps and they start they can target that mm, i mean i mean 
It brings also that transparency, like you said, you know, you have an actual assessment process in place to see where you are first with adaptation and then, you know, you can actually track that over time. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the key, you know, and some councils, some local governments get a little bit nervous at first and they feel like, you know, they're being audited or being judged and... I have seen, you know, some of the barriers, you know, and their colleagues of mine, you know, they might be the adaptation professional within the within the local government and they feel that I'm coming in and I'm vetting their performance. But the most important thing, as you said, is about transparency. So in the private sector, there's a big push for disclosure of, for organisations to disclose their risks so people can make sound and robust financial decisions. But in the government space, there's actually, there hasn't been any real strong demand about disclosing risks. Now, local governments, you know, they have, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of assets and the community are the, are the stakeholders. And I think that for any sort of strong government and any strong democracy, um, we need to make sure that people are aware of, of how the, the organization is performing. Mm. No, I think you're right. And like I, as I've said before, I've actually haven't seen, haven't seen any this type of work. It's, it's often, you know, the M&E is, is the monitoring and evaluation, even on, on adaptation projects. It's very vague or, you know, it's like we have increased resilience or, you know, it's, and it's, <laughs> Well, easy to fulfill yeah. when there's yeah, no yeah. actual, you don't need actual data or, or, you know, you don't, you don't, you just have kind of qualitative proof that sure people are better, you know, better off after this adaptation project, but there's not actually like what you're doing really sounds like it's, it's a robust way to, to actually track, track that progress. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I often say that you know, climate change adaptation is about informed decision making, and there isn't much informed decision making going on. And you know, adaptation is complex; it is ever changing. You know, the science is shifting, the responses are shifting, mm. and you know, because there isn't much mainstreaming going on, what we tend to get. So, regardless of whether an organisation has an adaptation plan or not. When there's a, let's say it's a big extreme event occurs, what you tend to do is get a reactionary policy. And we all know that, you know, reactionary adaptation probably leads to more trade-offs, you know, and you get maladaptation. At least with this way, you can start planning ahead the types of responses and the types of information that you, you will use. And I think that's the important thing here. All right. Well, thanks so much for your insights. And yeah, thanks for for sharing. I know that you're probably the only one who's in Australia who's been this long in the adaptation game. So that was very cool. <laughs> thanks, Johanna, and thanks so much for uh, inviting me to uh, talk today. No worries. Great, thank you. Hey, adapters, that is a wrap for this week's episode. What a fantastic conversation with Donovan. Thank you, Donovan, so much for coming on. Really unique interesting perspective on how to do adaptation, especially at the local government level. And I think, you know, here in the U S is the kind of federal government has gone bonkers. There's going to be more work done at the state and local government level. And so any sort of innovative techniques that we can learn 
we need to take them. So thanks again, doing some amazing work. I hope we can stay in touch. Johanna, you did a fantastic job. You should be proud of yourself. That was your first podcast. It's never easy. And so I'm really excited that you were able to get that one done. And I know she's hard at work working on others. And so if you're here, listen, if you're interested in hearing more about Australia, we're going to have this, as I mentioned, every two or three weeks, it'll be like a 20 or 30 minute segment kind of added on to a, a traditional segment. So that's very exciting. Some housekeeping. I have a Facebook page and a Facebook community group. Please join. It's the Facebook community group is just a great way. I mean, I share more casual information. I'll do updates. Sometimes I get a little goofy on there. People share links to climate change stories, and it's just a chance to talk a little bit more informally. If you tweet, please, I'm at USA Adapts. If you want to contact me, have a great idea for a guest, I'm at americadapts at gmail.com. And I do have a website, americadapts.org. And please consider supporting the website. And I'm an independent podcaster. There's a very simple PayPal option. You can do a recurring payment, five bucks a month. Think about that. It's less than a cup of coffee, maybe at Starbucks. We'll see. Well, it's on the website. If you are so inclined, I would greatly appreciate it. Let's see. As I mentioned, I have Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for Blue coming on next week, and then someone from Rand Corporation, and then Barrett Ristroff going to come and talk about tribal adaptation issues, especially from the legal side of things. Very fascinating conversation. Okay. So on that note, I want to let you go. And again, thanks to Donovan. Thanks to Joanna for coming on. First episode of Australia Daps. We've gone global. Where will we show up next? Who knows? Okay, on that note, until next time, adapters, you all have a great week.